Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. Have you ever read a book, couldn't wait for the author's next story to come out, but then nothing? Well, that was an experience I had more than 20 years ago with the novel Soul Catcher by Colin Kersey. So imagine my surprise when Kersey's second novel recently came out 26 years after his first. I recently talked with Colin Kersey about his new novel, Swimming with the Angels, and the long lead to his follow-up book. Did life interrupt art or art interrupt life or what? (laughs) One of those. (laughs) You know how it goes. Sometimes uh, life has a way of happening. We don't always plot it out in advance. And in my case, I I had hoped that Soulcatcher would be really launch a career in writing, but It, it didn't do that quite. It was fun, and I got a lot of uh, recognition from the press and so forth, but it didn't pay all the bills. I was going through a divorce, and after that, just a lot of things happened in life. My um, mother, father, sisters all died, not at the same time, but over the years, and there were things to handle with um, divorce and with changing jobs and so forth. And it just, the the novel that I wanted to write was always there in the back of my mind. I, I say it was like haunting me. It was an obsession, but I couldn't quite get to it and give it the attention it needed because of what was going on in my life. And fortunately, my work career was going fantastically. So even though I had a couple of job changes, I was doing quite well and traveling around the world, which again, didn't leave me a lot of time for writing, but it worked out very well financially. So I'd had to ride the horse I was given. (laughs) Well, Swimming with Angels is, is out now. And I guess suspense thriller is probably the the best way to uh, to de- to de- to describe it, what what attracts you to this particular genre? Because Soulcatcher was that, plus a little like supernatural thrown in there as as well. But what is it about this particular genre that that uh, you find so interesting? I think there's nothing more energizing than if something is trying to catch you, eat you, kill you, <laughs> injure you. That, to me, uh, dealing with that kind of suspense is just the most uh, exciting kind of writing. And I tend to think in terms of characters and scenes and so forth. And so for me, coming up with something exciting, and this usually happens, a combination of reading something in the newspaper or hearing something on the media And then my own imagination runs wild with it, and I start um, imagining what could go wrong in a certain situation, and that takes me down, you know, a road that in this case uh, evolved into swimming with the angels. And it's not hard, I have to say, Jeff, looking at the newspaper today or listening to the media and hearing possible opportunities for stories. There's just a lot going on that that is threatening and uh, could be developed into a good thriller. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as I, as I as I prefaced the interview, I've read just or I know just enough about the book to be dangerous. I know that your main protagonist is Gray Reynolds, and he finds himself in a bizarre situation uh, 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 where uh, a lot of people around him wind up, wind up dead. Um, kind of set the stage for us. Gray Reynolds is an innocent man, uh, just married previously, but the woman he marries works in a, in, as a wire transfer expert at a hedge fund. Doesn't sound like much of a job, but she's involved with billions of dollars uh, on her computer screen every day. And her boss, who's an IT professional, someone familiar with some of the tricks you can do on computers, tempts her into stealing $100 million and says there's no way they can be caught. So my protagonist knows nothing about this. She doesn't tell him until it's too late. And then, as you say, everyone around him has been killed. And the drug cartel, whose money was stolen, wants uh, their money back. And they also want him dead just to tie up any loose ends and make sure that nobody else gets any crazy ideas. And so suddenly the world's most notorious cartel is hunting him down. He wakes up wounded in a hospital room, and the FBI agent who interviews him tells him he's, you know, he's going to be hunted for the rest of his life. He basically has to disappear and leave behind his identity, any dreams he has of graduating from college and going on to a professional career because the cartel's going to hunt him forever. So he has to disappear literally almost overnight. And he finds, and he has to find a job where they're not going to check his ID because he doesn't have an identity at this point in time. So he finds a place far up in the North Cascades in Washington State that has a maintenance man job off the books where he'll have a place to stay and food to eat and just the bare minimal sustenance. At first, he thinks he has found the perfect refuge. In fact, he thinks he's found Eden, that this is just the most beautiful, peaceful place you could find on the planet. But he doesn't realize that... Uh, couple of things. Number one, the farm has its own secrets. There's a young woman whose mother died 10 years before. She's a blind woman, and the she actually takes care of everyone on the farm by doing the cooking and cleaning, but she has no friends, just her seeing-eye dog, and she's been cutting herself because of the pain of losing her mother and best friend and not having really any outlet, not being able to find a man or date. And so when Gray shows up on her doorstep, she literally thinks he's the answer to a prayer and gets very excited. And unfortunately, her fascination with him attracts the attention of her married sister. And this creates, of course, all kinds of stress. Um I know your your roots are in the Pacific Northwest, and that's the setting, um, obviously the setting of, of 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 this story. What is it about that part of the country that 
that uh, that is so interesting and and is very it's like another character in the in the in the book. Thank you for saying that because actually that is how I see it: is the weather, the mountains, the rivers and lakes. There's a lot to work with. It's just it's a very beautiful place to live, but it's also you need to be fairly strong because if you're just um, inside listening to the rain every day, going to work in the dark, going home in the dark after work and rain, 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 you can drive yourself nuts. So it's a place that's challenging to live, or at least it was for me, which is why I now live in a little sunny island in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love it. And uh, as you say, I grew up there. My relatives are still there. And so I look for opportunities to go visit. But I prefer to visit it rather than live there just because of uh, the constant battle with the weather and the, and the rain especially. Just like the, the, the kind of the, the the location is 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 part of this. There's also it um, from what I've read with Gray. He's obviously he's struggling with this uh, with what everything that was thrust upon him, and and um, then you know, working through how each decision he makes and what he does next, how it how it influences what um, what comes next. Um, do you think did he? What do you think he learned about himself in this process of having to flee and, and disappear and and then work through this whole other set of, of consequences as he's trying to start over? I think that's an important question. So I, I think many of us are seeking an Eden, a better place where there's less trauma, stress, more beauty, more peace. And Gray thinks he's found that. He's been betrayed by his wife and he's had to search out a place on his own and he thinks that he's found the perfect place. Unfortunately, what he learns is that he's not perfect. And wherever we go, we, if we think we're entering Eden and finding a place where there's no sin and no stress and no problems, we're fooling ourselves because it follows us. And what he discovers is we take our problems with us. And here he is dealing with a whole new set of problems, including his own fragile nature. I mean, he brings his own problems with him. He's on the one hand, a creative person, he loves beauty, he's a bit of a sensualist, a romantic, but in the process, he lets his guard down and he becomes a major problem to the people on this farm, not only because the cartel is searching for him, but just the problems that he brings, the stresses between the people that are emphasized because of his being there. And that's, I think, the truth that I was sort of trying to deal with here is that we all kind of are looking for Eden, 
but we take our sinfulness there and we just recreate whatever it was we were fleeing from. Uh, not to give anything away, but does he find a sense of resolution? Is there a sense of resolution? His resolution is not an easy one. It's a newfound understanding of himself and a bit more realistic attitude towards the world. As he says in the very opening line of the book, he was quite naive when he was first married and before this betrayal happened with his wife. And so he learns just, in fact, how naive he was and that the world is a much harder, more difficult place to navigate than he considered. And I think that that's the truth for all of us. When we're born and as we grow up, we make it go through difficult times, and it sharpens us, but it still can come as a shock that things we're going to deal with for later life, as many people are dealing with now because of the pandemic and the repercussions of all of that. The, the narrative and the structure uh, uh, of your stories and how you, how you tell your, your, your stories um, is... Um, I think I've heard it described as very, or read it described as very um, theatrical. But there's a, there's a depth and a real uh, sense to your, um, to all of your characters and, and to, to the to the story I- itself. What is it that that in, inspires you when you're when you're writing? Wow. So as I said earlier, I <laughs> and that may be a loaded start... question. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually it's a really good question. And the first, going back to your question about structure, the first book, Soul Catcher, was, as I looked around for a structure for that book to, to make the narrative flow, I had read Stephen King's The Stand, which mm-hmm. I still think is one of his best mm-hmm. books of all time. And I really liked the way, as it moved around to different characters, that he maintained a sense of time and place. And I use that structure for my book. This book is quite different. It doesn't have that kind of flow. In fact, it starts off as a hard thriller, mm-hmm. and then it gets into a suspenseful tale of what's happening on the farm with this family as it builds up intention around this character that's been introduced and that really came to me, Jeff, as kind of a, a haunted personal experience of uh, dealing with betrayal and seeing that people can, you know, hurt each other in ways that are traumatic to mm-hmm. a person's character, to their progress as a human being, to their... You, I, I lost everything to a my first wife because I did not understand how she was playing the marriage. If that can be... Uh, maybe you've never heard it said quite that way before, but she had different goals than I did, and mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate that until I was 
driving away with literally nothing but the shirt on my back and realized that I'd been played for a fool. And so that pain served me in terms of writing the story of an innocent man who finds himself dodging uh, not only a cartel, but his lack of wisdom in understanding people's motives and what they're looking for. I'll, I'll throw this in because I think it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit off the track, but when I was growing up, again, and this is in Washington State where there's a lot of rain, but there's also a lot of depression, a lot of um, alcohol, drugs, and so forth. And by the time I was 30, I had known over two dozen people that had committed suicide. These were close friends, the families of friends, and neighbors. And that, I think, infects my writing. I say infects. That's maybe the best way to describe it is that I'm my characters are learning how to look beneath the surface because that's what I had to do. In fact, when I moved to California, shortly after moving here, I was working for an advertising agency, and uh, a woman who worked for that agency called me one night, asked if she could drop by. I was married, and she came to visit us. And it was kind of unusual because she lived in Los Angeles, and we lived in south of there in Orange County. And after she left, we had what I thought was a very pleasant visit. She drove to a motel in Laguna Beach and killed herself that night by taking mm. pills. And I had no idea that she was going to do that. And that's why in my writing, I'm always looking at what's going on beneath the surface of my characters. And I, I think that adds depth mm -hmm. because I think a lot of thrillers are written just fairly superficially and there's not a lot of exploration of depth. And so I really like your question because it, it gets to the heart of what I try to do when I write, which is to, to think about what's going on beneath the surface with people and bring that into the story. That's what, to me, makes a story um, more relevant to real life. That's author Colin Kersey. His new novel is Swimming with the Angels. It's available in all the usual places, including his website, colinkersey.com. He's also at work on his new novel that has Gray Reynolds on a new adventure. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.